0: Hey, last week I said that the gospel that the disciples were preaching from village to village probably didn't include the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, if that were to be true, then we need to answer the question why did Jesus need to die? Now, by the simple fact that Jesus was still alive when the disciples preached the good news in every village they visited, and the fact that these gospel-preaching disciples were clueless every time Jesus hinted at the idea of being killed and resurrected, we know their understanding of the gospel message had to do more with Jesus' sermons and not so much with the death and resurrection. So last week, we looked at all Jesus' teachings and grouped them into four categories because all four of these things comprised together is called the good news. So the good news was first of all about love, that God loves us and he is expecting us to love others in the way that he loved us. The second is that we are forgiven for our sins and we shouldn't hold judgment against those who wrong us. The third is that God's kingdom is right here, right now, present, and that we can participate in it right now. And the last one is that God is offering us grace so we no longer have to play that religion game anymore. So where does the cross play into any of these things? I mean, was it even necessary for Jesus to die? And if he did, what was the purpose of him dying? A more blunt version of asking that question is, did Jesus really have to die on the cross? And the short answer to that question is, yes. (laughs) And a slightly more expanded version of that answer is that, yes, Jesus had to die, and he died to cement the good news that he and his disciples were preaching. So today we're going to be looking at each of these four elements again and talk about how the death of Jesus cemented and enhanced each of these messages. So let's begin with the first one. Love. So the first reason why Jesus had to die for us on the cross is because he needed to demonstrate for us what love looked like. So if I were to sit here and tell a hundred of you, hey, God wants you to love one another, we'll probably get a hundred different variations of love. Some will hit the bullseye and others will do something selfish and justify it as loving others. And if I were to tell a hundred of you that God loves you, we may probably get as many variations of what that might look like. Uh, I mean, like in some circles, They believe the love of God always comes in the form of money. And not that long ago, like 200 years ago, a lot of Christians believed that they were given slaves because of the love of God. So the problem here is that love can be relative. And so we need God to define for us what love actually looks like. And so in comes the crucifixion of Jesus. You see, Jesus died on the cross so we can all see what the greatest form of love should look like. In one of the stories of Jesus just a few days before he died on the cross he said this he said my command is this love each other as i have loved you now at that point somebody who was listening in might have been like hey jesus uh can you show us what love actually looks like because we don't know it's so relative well let's continue greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends in essence jesus is saying hey i'm about to die on the cross And when you see me bleeding and broken on that cross, you'll understand what love really is like. Now this whole understanding of Jesus dying on the cross to demonstrate for us what love looks like, well there's a theological term for this. It's called cruciform theology. Now this basically means if you want to know what God is like, look at the cross. If you want to know what love is like, you'll learn everything you need to know about love by looking at the broken body of Jesus. Now, one of Jesus' disciples, in looking back at the thing that he saw on the cross, this is what he said. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. So, the first reason why Jesus had to die on the cross for us is to show us what love looks like. Alright, now let's take a look at the second part of this gospel that Jesus' death cemented for us, which is sin. Now we learned last week that when someone wrongs you, you hold judgment over that person. And as you might have guessed, humanity as a whole has wronged God more often than anyone can count. So God has every right to hold judgment against us. However, Jesus taught that God no longer holds any kind of judgment against us because he has forgiven us. In other words, Jesus is saying that the way that God chooses to relate to us now is going to be incredibly different. We are no longer indebted to him. And the reason we know this is because of this little thing that Jesus did called the Last Supper, just the night before he was killed. You see, Jesus brought in his disciples into a room and performed this ancient Jewish ritual called the Seder, or we commonly call the Passover meal. But Jesus does this weird thing. He takes this ancient ritual and tweaks a little bit and gives it new meaning. He basically says that every time you drink this wine in this ritual, I want you to be reminded of my execution. This is what Jesus said about that. This is my blood of the covenant. Now, in case you don't know what a new covenant is, it means it's a new way of relating to God. So every time you drink this cup, I want you to be reminded that we don't connect with God the old way anymore, where we had to come up with creative ways of getting God to see past the sins that we commit against him. No, Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is saying, I want you to remember that God no longer holds your sins against you. You are all forgiven and every time you partake in this ritual, which includes a slaughtered lamb, I want you to remember my slaughter, my broken body, the blood dripping from the cross and that should remind you that God has forgiven you and that you are now free to connect with God without anything hanging over your conscience. So according to that story, it seems that the death of Jesus is supposed to remind us of God's forgiveness. And the third thing that Jesus taught was about his kingdom or God's way, that his way is now here. Now, after Jesus was arrested and he was being tried unfairly, the enemies mocked him with, with a robe, a staff, a crown, a sign hanging over his head. But little did they know, they were actually participating in the coronation celebration of Jesus being king. Like, for example, the robe was a royal robe. The staff was a scepter and the thorny crown was a royal crown and the sign that was put over his head said, King of the Jews. Now at one point, one of the Roman guards, who's considered the enemy, fell on his knees, looked up at Jesus' broken body, and said, surely this man was the Son of God. And Son of God was code in the Roman culture as the King. You see, scattered throughout Jesus' biographies is a description of Jesus being enthroned in the midst of his enemies, and they had no clue of it until the resurrection. So in this instance, Jesus had to die on the cross because that is how he became the King of King, Lord of Lords. And finally, we talk about Jesus' shutting down religion. Now near the beginning of the Gospel of John, there's a really interesting story. See, Jesus walks into the epicenter of the Jewish religion, which was the temple, and he looked around and said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now at the time, the disciples and the onlookers had no idea what he was talking about. Now one of them, we'll call him Captain Obvious, we don't know his name, said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? This person took Jesus' quote literally, But as we learn, he was speaking figuratively. John gives his commentary. He says, the temple that he had spoken of was his body. Now, this means that Jesus is implying that he was equating the temple to himself. See, when Jesus dies on the cross, that will also mark the end of religion as they knew it. Jesus had to die because whatever the temple stood for was a simple that we no longer needed. People needed the temple back then to feel like they were earning God's favor. You didn't have to perform certain rituals to earn God's favor anymore. You didn't have to have a priest to have special access to God anymore. You didn't have to be squeaky clean in your entire life to call out to God anymore. Back then, under that religious system, if you wanted an access to God, you had to go through a multitude of rituals. You had to be the right race. You have to be the right gender. You have to have a certain level of education. You have to have a certain amount of money to pay for the, the, the temple tax and the animal sacrifices. And all of that was symbolized by the big thick curtain that was in the middle of the temple to show us how separated we were from the presence of God. And the author of Jesus' biographies tells us that, that when Jesus died, the big fat curtain that separated God's presence from the rest of the world was torn in two. Thanks to Jesus' death, now God can leave the confines of the religion, which was in the temple, and now be with everybody, the common people. Oh, and there's one more thing that the death of Jesus accomplished on the religious front. And it's a little hard to explain because it has a lot to do with our understanding of ancient Jewish perspectives. You see, back in the Old Testament days, people desperately needed to find a solution to the problem of evil. But... Because if you wanted to get rid of all the evil in this world, that meant that you had to get rid of all people, like you and me, because you've done evil things and I've done evil things. That wasn't a good solution. If we were to beg God to get rid of evil, that means that he has to get rid of us. So how do you separate humanity from the evil that's attached to them? Well, back then they came up with this thing called an animal sacrifice. They took the sins that were inside of human beings and symbolically transferred them to animals and then slaughtered that animal so that we could look at it and say, Oh good, now evil has died, but we're still here. This process was called purification. But as most of you guys can guess, this was a temporary solution, maybe not a solution at all. In one of the earliest sermons recorded for us in the first century that made it into the Bible, this is what it says. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Yeah, basically this first century unnamed preacher says all those sacrifices, all those slaughters, all those dead animals was really for nothing because it didn't accomplish anything. So you might be asking, why would God allow so many animals to be slaughtered when it wasn't accomplishing anything? Well, there's several passages in the Bible that says that the slaughter of these animals was more for the soothing of the guilty conscience that we carried with us. Like for us to physically see something that represents evil being slaughtered, it made us feel like God has forgiven us of our sins. It says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 9 that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Meaning, sacrificing an animal that represents sin was supposed to be soothing to our conscience, but sometimes it didn't really accomplish that either. And Peter, you know, one of Jesus' disciples, he even indicated that these rituals are just symbols. They don't really accomplish anything internally. So in the Old Testament, there were prophets who began proclaiming that one day, a king will arrive and will perform the ultimate sacrifice that will eliminate the need for sacrifices forever. And Peter proclaims that that king is Jesus. Jesus had to die on the cross as a sacrifice so that we don't have to carry this religion with us for the rest of our lives. So, in summary, number one, Jesus' death teaches us what true love looks like. Number two, a reminder that God does not hold any of our sins against us because we are forgiven. Number three, the kingdom of God is now spreading and Jesus is the king of that new movement. And number four, that God is no longer held down by any religion. God is a free agent and he chooses to be with us. You see, Jesus' death is necessary because it cements the gospel. And this good news usually has a cost, and that cost was the life of Jesus. And Christians are those who are willing to sacrifice everything that they have for the sake of the good news. I mean, did you notice that each of these four aspects has a response attached to it? Like for example, that you are loved by the most important being in the world, so the response? You must love one another. Or you are forgiven for your sins, so you must go and forgive one another or that Jesus is the king of this new kingdom. So you must live according to this kingdom as if it is right here, right now. And Jesus has given you what religion promised you, so your bodies are now the dwelling place of God. So wherever you go, whoever you are, go and take God with you. So we, the people who believe in this good news, called Christians, we have a responsibility. We have to treat people a certain way. We're supposed to love the people that are difficult to love. So church, may you remember that Jesus laid his life down Because He loves you, to set you free from sin, to jumpstart this new kingdom, and to shut down religion. And may this knowledge inspire you to love others, forgive those around us, participate in the kingdom of God, and to make God accessible to everyone. And may we all experience heaven together. God bless.